Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. An important part of the American dream is wrapped up in the idea of ownership. And it really is a great joy and a privilege to own anything, whether you own your own car, own a home, to own a piece of property, or even to own your own business. And yet, as the people of God, we have to have this underlying fundamental understanding that we don't really own anything. That's right. We don't own anything. It all belongs to God. I'm pretty sure that none of you were there when God created everything from nothing. We can't take credit. All that we have is a gift of God. Your position in life, the time and place in history that God has placed you, the family he put you into, the opportunities that he has given you, your intellect and your brain was designed by God. The creativity and ingenuity and energy that you have was given to you by God. Now, of course, we don't want to discount things like hard work and personal responsibility. Those are values, good values, godly values. But don't we dare take credit for the grace of of God. Don't we dare take credit for how good our lives are because it is only by the grace of God. It is only by his faithfulness. And we've already sung about it this morning. I love it when the music ministry steals my sermon before I preach it. I can just tighten things up a little bit and just say what they said. No, God has given us everything. And this must be our mentality. As we think about all these things, All these things that God has placed in our care, all of our life, not just our money, but our time, our energy, our relationships, everything in our lives is from God. All these things, they belong to him. And we're called to be stewards, to be managers of those resources. He has placed those in our care to leverage for his glory, to be used for building up his kingdom and bearing good fruit. And so this is both an incredible privilege and an incredible responsibility to steward all of these things for the glory of God. And so for those of you who may have missed last week, we're looking at a text from 1 Chronicles chapter 29 this morning. It's part of our annual commitment campaign. The occasion of this particular passage is that King David has come to the end of his life. He knows that he's near death, and so he gathers all of the people, the entire assembly, and brings them together for really two main purposes. The first one is to pass the baton of leadership to his son Solomon, and the second is to initiate a gigantic capital campaign for the building of the temple so that God's people will build this special place to meet with God, for God to reveal his glories, a place to be used in the life of of Israel to build them up spiritually, to build up their faith and trust in God. And so last week we looked at part of the speech that the chronicler brought together for us from King David. 
and the response of the people. This morning, we're going to look at a worshipful prayer that Pastor Dan just read for us in David's response to what has happened here. And the most evident theme of David's prayer, what's on his heart, what appears to be central, just so happens to be the theme for our commitment campaign this year, which is this idea that all these things are from the Lord. Last week, we talked about how they are to the Lord. They're for the Lord. This week, the focus is that they are from the Lord. And David goes out of his way to say in about as many ways possible that all these things are from the Lord. He says, everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Everything comes from you. We only give what you have given us, what comes from your hand. Lord, our God, in all this abundance that we have provided for building a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand And all of it belongs to you. All these things I have given willingly. Over and over again, David reminds us, it's all from the Lord. Now, this is one of those areas where we can get into trouble if our theology and practice of giving is limited, in particular to the idea of tithing, which was taught in the Old Testament. I believe in the New Testament, it's not a law, but I think it continues to be a principle that the church has used historically as, as a guiding force of our giving, that we would give systematically. That we would give to the places where God has connected us with what he's doing in the world. But our, our theology of stewardship shouldn't be limited to tithing because that can actually lead us to think, well, if I give God 10%, if I give him this portion, this is his part and the rest is mine do with whatever I want. But that's not the way it works. 100% of it is his, and he should be the guiding force behind the way that we use all of it. Not that we check the box and do our spiritual practice, and then we get a free-for-all. We must deeply understand that all we have is from the Lord to be used for him. Now, some in the room, maybe high school students, younger people, maybe you're thinking, well, this giving sermon doesn't really have a whole lot for me because I don't have a job yet, or maybe maybe I do, but I don't have very much money, not paying bills yet. But here's the thing. You need to understand this idea of stewardship and of management because it's about more than money, right? It's about your time. It's about your talent. It's a broader principle, but also because someday you will have more money than you have right now. And I know it's been so important in my life that I was modeled and taught the idea of saving, of tithing, of giving, and of generosity back before I had very much money so that that was built in. Because later in life, once you have more, it's harder to backtrack and try to apply those principles. Because somehow our money gets allocated somewhere, right? All of it goes somewhere. And if we want to learn to be a giver, it's hard to develop that practice. Not impossible. And maybe you're here today. Maybe there's some of you who would say, I'm really not giving very much. I'm not a tither. I'm not a giver at all. The idea of 10%, man, that feels like a huge hurdle. I could never get there. That is a big jump. You don't have to start there. Start somewhere. Start with little faithfulness. Start with 1% and say, next year, I'm going to give away 1% of my income. And then add a percent after that. Start somewhere. Don't see it as this hurdle that you can't overcome. See it as this spiritual principle that you want to live into you so you can become the person that God has created you to be. Wherever you're at, challenge yourself to take the next step toward becoming more of a giver and more of a generous person. You will not regret it. But for the younger people, I encourage you, learn this principle now. Learn it now. 
so that when you have more, you'll be faithful with more. So this is our overriding principle this morning in this prayer is this idea that all we have, all these things are from the Lord. But I think we see a couple of other guiding ideas here develop a theology of giving. The first is that giving is an act of worship. This section begins and ends with worship. In fact, the whole assembly of the people was really, it was a national gathering and there was some sort of political business to take care of, but it really was just a giant worship service gathering the people together to recognize that all of life comes from God and to dedicate themselves to serving him. So it begins with David praising the Lord. And then by the end of it, the whole assembly is laid out on the floor. That's what this means. Laid out, worshiping the Lord in total surrender. So at the end of the service, we're all going to lay on the floor. We vacuum the carpet. Don't worry. No, I'm just kidding. You guys guys were like, are you serious? We could though, if you want to, hey, And we're going to talk about postures of worship at the beginning of the year. So that's going to be fun. Our giving is an act of worship. It's just as much a part of our worship as our prayers, as our reading scripture, as our hearing the word of God and responding to it, coming to the communion table. It is all part of our worship. Giving is worship. It's not just a pragmatic thing we do to keep the lights on. And giving is a way that our hearts our shaped, our love and devotion to God is maintained. It changes us. Giving is also an act of response. Verse 16. He says, Lord, our God, all of this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and it all belongs to you. In this prayer, David praises God for his faithfulness. He asks God to continue to be faithful to his people In verses 11 and 12, you back up a little bit. David's reflecting on the nature and attributes of God. He mentions God's power, his greatness, his glory, his majesty, his strength, his worthiness. You see, at this crossroads in the life of Israel, they're they're having a leadership change. It's an important time in the life of God's people, changing circumstances. And David wants to remind the people where to look. He says, don't look around at changing circumstances. Look up to the faithfulness of God. Reflect on the faithfulness of God. We sang about it this morning, the faithfulness of God. He wants to remind the people. Because when we look out, what do we see? We see all kinds of reasons not to be givers and not to be generous and to pull back and to say, you know what, I'm just going to hold on to what I have. Because there's a lot of uncertainty. We look out and we see elections. We see natural disasters and pandemics and recessions. Every reason in the world to go like this. And God says, nope, my people always go like this. We don't turn inward. We turn upward and then we turn outward to our neighbors and we're givers. In the bad times, we're givers. In the good times, we're givers. In the uncertain times, we're givers because we serve a God who is a giver. And that's one of the ways that we demonstrate the generosity of our generous God. We are givers. Now, there are times and seasons of our lives when we can give more and times when we can give less. But we want to be givers. We want to be generous people who give our lives away. And we do it because giving is an act of gratitude. Verse 13, now our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. Verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this. You see, giving is part of how we express our gratitude and our thanks to God. 
And it's also a great privilege. Don't you love this line, verse 14? I love that. Because that's exactly how I feel. God, who am I? And who are we as a people that we are able to give as generously as we are? We don't give out of obligation. It's not a negative thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to give. Because think about this. If you are able to give, it means that God has provided more than you need. I mean, that's just basic logic. But if you are able to give away, it means God has provided more than you need. That means that's a privilege. God has blessed you so much that he has given you more than you need so that you can give some away. It's a great privilege. It is with joy that we do that. First Timothy, Paul writes to his mentee, Timothy, he says, God has provided us with good gifts for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment, God gives us good things. It's not a bad thing to have nice things. It's not a bad thing to be rich. He gives us good gifts for our enjoyment, but then he says right after that, we're to place our trust in God, not in those things, not in that wealth, and we're to be rich in good deeds. So how could we summarize our our view of our things, our, our, our theology of stewardship? We enjoy our things gratefully. We enjoy them gratefully. We hold them loosely, and we share them generously. Right? We enjoy those gifts that God gives us, but we hold them loosely with open hands, not with hands clenched around them. This is mine, but we hold them loosely and we share them with others because it is a joy and a privilege to be so generous. Finally, our giving is an act of our devotion. Several times in this section, this word heart is used. He says, I know, God, that you test the heart. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep the desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. Keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon wholehearted devotion to keep your commands and statutes and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. The act is giving, but ultimately what God wants is our hearts. He wants us to fully trust in him. And so he gives us these spiritual practices that can help shape our hearts. There are many of those. Prayer, Bible study, community. But giving is also one of those. It's a tool. It's a way that God shapes our hearts. And so here's here's how it works. We love God and we trust God and therefore we give to him. But sometimes we aren't always feeling as generous. Sometimes we're, we're sort of drawn internally, but we do the practice anyway. And sometimes it is our giving that is not in response to how we're feeling and our hearts are drawn, but we give because we know that that will actually draw our hearts closer to the Lord. Right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And where your heart is, those are the things that you will treasure. It works both directions. So we give in response, we give out of gratitude, but we also give even when we're not feeling it. We pray even when we aren't feeling it. We go to worship even when we aren't feeling it. We open our Bibles and we trust that somehow, even if our hearts are not in the right place, the power of the Holy Spirit will work through the act of obedience that God has designed for us. And that's also why we surround ourselves with other people who value those things who say, hey, let's do this together, who remind us, who encourage us when we're not feeling it, that, hey, this is what we do. 
And the very act can work backwards and can transform our hearts and our desires. And we can also pray that God will use those things to make us fully devoted to him, fully trusting in him. That's what our giving is about. It's not about the budgets and keeping the lights on. Our giving is about surrendering our hearts to Jesus because he wants our whole hearts and he wants our devotion. And so we give because it is an expression of that and it shapes those things in us. So as we come toward the end of this year and we talk about giving, I want to give you some kind of updates on where we're at as a church and our commitment challenge for you. Uh, The first challenge that we have is that we want to finish this year strong. As of right now, we are about 10% behind on our budgeted giving going into our commitment campaign, meaning we've received 10% less than we budgeted to have received up to this point. All right. Now, this is exactly where we were last year at this time. So call us predictable. We're at least that. And we are pretty predictable. And what happened last year is that we all gave very generously. We ended the year strong and we were able to meet our budget, fulfill our commitments and do everything that we felt like God had called us to do. And so here we are again this year asking for a strong finish to the year so that we can do that again. It's going to take all of us joining together and giving sacrificially and giving joyfully to do these things. Now, what difference will it make? Because the thing is, we can kind of have like a medium end of the year, medium December, and we'll be okay. Okay, we'll be able to, you know, pay all of our bills. But if we finish the year strong, what difference will it make? Well, there's a lot of things, but there's three big ones that I want to point out to you. The first one is that we'll be able to fully fund our church planting fund. We've made a commitment every year to set aside $100,000 that is to be used toward future church planting because we believe that God has called us to that. Every church, that, it's a great commission. God reaches new people through new things, and we want to be a part of that. And so, and we've been doing that for many years. So we fund that throughout the year, incrementally, and then at the end of the year, because that's when our giving is the strongest, we give a larger portion toward the end. Well, if we don't get that, We can't put that in that fund. We think it's important. The second thing is we want to replenish our reserve fund. So the way giving works in the church, I'm not going to get in the weeds on this, but basically there's times when you get more and there's times when you get less, right? We can all understand that. It's pretty normal. And during the summer, we tend to get less because people aren't here and that kind of a thing. And so historically, what we've done is that we've borrowed money during the lean times and then paid it back when we got more money. But we actually had to borrow money from a bank at interest. Not a lot, but... We had to borrow from a bank and then we paid it back. Now, here's how this, here's the cool thing. We now have a reserve fund, which means we borrow from ourselves rather than a bank. I like that. You guys like that? That's a better deal. We don't, we don't charge ourselves interest. And so it's great. Well, so now every year when times get lean or we have unexpected parts of HVAC systems I've never even heard of, but the bigger they are, the more complicated they are. We have unexpected things as well as some maintenance things that we've deferred that we've really wanted to do and have had good deals and good timing on those things. We have drawn upon our reserve some this year. So at the end of this year, if we finish strong in December, we're going to get that back, Lord willing, to where it was at the beginning of the year. Okay. The third thing is that we want to be able to confirm the proposed 2023 budget that you all received in a letter. I'm getting ready to show it to you here in just a minute. And we want to be able to move forward that budget. But the only way we can is if we finish the year strong. Because the best way for us to predict how much money we're going to bring in next year 
is, you guessed it, how much money we bring in this year. That's just the way it works. And so in order to move forward with that budget, we need to finish the year strong, okay? So this budget uh, now, which we'll go ahead and put that up, is only 1% more than this current year. That was actually, that took work to get that, to be just 1%. Uh, We didn't want to go up a lot because given where we're at currently, 10% down, but um, things cost more. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Things are costing more these days. Utility bills are going up. Your, your grocery bill has gone up. Insurance is going up. Lots of things. So that affects churches as well. Um, and so we have worked hard to absorb a lot of those things and come up with a budget that is only 1% more for next year. But we want to be able to move forward with that budget. And if we don't finish the year strong, we'll have to go back and cut some things, okay? One of the things I'll tell you specifically, and some of them are sitting here in the room, so they're like, wait a second. We want to give our staff a 5% raise next year. That's a cost of living raise because inflation is, last I checked, around 8.5%. So they're already moving backward. Their insurance is going to cost them more next year. But at least a 5% raise will keep us from going too far backwards. Many of the people on our staff are working. They're working for the Lord. They're called to do that. But they're working a lot of them at a little bit less than market rates, meaning they could go and do similar jobs in other organizations and make more money. Okay. So we want to be generous to our staff. We want to be fair. One of the things we want to do is we want to give them a 5% raise. It's included in that budget. But I'll just be honest with you, we might not be able to do that if we don't finish the year strong. I don't say that to be manipulative. I'm just telling you those, those are the facts. So those are some of the things that are on the line for us organizationally uh, as we approach the end of the year. So we just ask you all to give as you have proven yourselves year after year to be faithful. And if we finish the year strong, we will be able to move forward with that budget. Now, just a little bit of understanding on that budget. Because if I, if I was looking at that and I didn't understand what was happening in the background, one of the questions that I would have is, why is the operations budget so big and facility? So one of the things you have to understand about that particular line item is that includes a number of salaries, like our finance people, our facility team, um, our communications team, everything that's operations. And the operations team is really supporting the other work of the church, the mission, the div- outreach, evangelism, discipleship, worship, everything else that we do is supported by those folks in communicating that and keeping things orderly and working. The other thing you also have to understand about that is that we leverage our resources and our facility to bless a lot of other Christian organizations in our community. Bible studies, you name it, all different kinds of things. They use our resources, and there's somewhat of a cost to us for that, but we think it's valuable. And I mean, like Monday night, hundreds of men from around the city come and have Bible study here. And we provide our facility because we think those things are important. All that is absorbed in what we call operations and facility. And so uh, that's why that is the way it is. So more on that, the annual congregational meeting, but you all do not attend that. So that's why I'm slipping it in here on the backside of all of this, just to give you some information about how things work, because we want you to be informed. So. Perhaps more exciting for some of you, I want to present our three goals for next year that we mailed out to you. I affectionately am thinking of this as Project 4321, which sounds like a NASA launch operation, I understand. Um, But the four is the fact that each goal has a four for you, for Tulsa, for the world. The three, two, and one is a 300, 200, and 100 goal. Very specific and measurable. 
We have a goal for you that 300 people or more will become more Bible-grounded next year through participating in a church-wide Bible reading plan. We're going to do a plan. There's going to be a way where you can follow it on an app and interact with people. There'll be printed versions as well if you don't want to do the technology piece of it. But we're hoping that all the church, but at least 300 people will participate together in reading through the Bible next year and trusting that will bear fruit in our lives. The second goal is for Tulsa. We believe one of the best ways that we can be for our neighbors that do not have a church home is by inviting them to church, by inviting them to a Bible study, by inviting them to be a part of the life of the church. And so we hope next year that 200 new people will walk through our doors. Just to give you a point of reference on that, this year, um, last I checked, we had about 130 documented new visitors. So that's a very achievable goal next year. If we all invite one person, we will exceed that goal by a lot. And so please be praying about that and be a part of inviting next year as we really want to focus on that. You don't have to wait till next year, by the way. And then finally, our third goal is to be for the world, for the world. And the goal here is that 100 people will be mobilized to go on a mission trip. Now, historically, based on how many people we used to send annually, that's not a terribly difficult goal to achieve. But as you all know, our flow has been disrupted. So the last couple of years, we haven't had nearly that many people go. So this is our stretch goal this year. We're actually, we're a big chunk of the way already to our 100 because our high school mission trip has filled up whoop, whoop, 30. Is it 30? Is that the number? 30 people have plane tickets to go to Costa Rica over spring break. So that's already almost a third. So let's fill in the rest of that. Let's pray. Let's give. Let's go. Let's mobilize 100 people to be for the world. These are just three small pieces. There is so much more that God is doing in and through us. These are just three little areas where we can focus on strategic goals to challenge ourselves and to pray in faith that God will continue to move us forward in the vision that he has for us. So how can you participate? Really quick are two commitment steps. The first one is to make a commitment for next year, uh, to, to set up recurring giving or to just simply make a pledge that you'll fulfill throughout the year by writing a check or however you choose to do that. Um, You can fill your pledge out online through our app, or you can do it um, by paper. The letter that you received in the mail, you can grab another one of those from the information center out there. We're asking everybody to fill out this commitment to commit to support the work that God is doing at the church. And then the second thing is to commit to making a year-end gift for 2022 so that we can finish the year strong. Just prayerfully consider if you might be able to give an extra gift as we approach the end of the year to finish the year strong, do those three things that we talked about, and move into next year um, excited about the opportunities that God has placed in our path. So we're asking everyone to prayerfully consider this commitment um, to the Lord, first of all, as an act of worship and response and devotion to him, and secondly, to participate with us. Will you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful. And you have been faithful to this church year after year. You have demonstrated yourself so faithful to us. And so, Lord, before we even ask again for this upcoming year, we just want to stop and say we're grateful. Father, and that you are good and you are mighty and powerful and strong. And you have shown up. And we love you. 
and we trust in you. And so now, God, as we give to you, as we make our commitments for next year, we want to do it as an act of worship and devotion to you. We want to give so that our hearts will trust in you and not in the love of money. God, we want to become the people that you have created us to be. So would you shape us through our giving into generous people who reflect your generosity? And Lord, we pray that you'll provide for us the end of this year. God, we ask in faith that you would use us to respond to this need. And we ask, Father, that you would provide for us next year. Give us guidance and wisdom. That we would continue to use all of these gifts. That we would leverage them to bring you great glory. And that, God, through our giving, lives would be changed. Our young people would grow up to know you and love you and serve you. That people who don't yet know you would come to know the gospel. And, God, that you would do it. But that you would do it through us. Father, we love you and we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.